Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And, uh, you know, humans have uh, always been pretty interested in the idea of living longer, uh, living forever even. It's uh, it's pretty much the thing we're, we're most into. Oh, yeah, the fountain yeah. of youth, right? Yeah. That, that trophy that we continue to pursue. Yeah. I, I, I always think back to the line in Blade Runner with uh, Rudger Hauer's character. You know, Roy Batty. Yeah, Roy Batty, where he says, I want more life, father. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes he says other things, slightly different things, depending on the cut. But that's the director's, the most recent director's cut, and I think that's the final word on the matter. It's a little creepy, too, right? Yeah, because I think then he, like, pokes somebody's eyes out or something. But, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. does a couple of backflips. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was in shape. He only lived to be, like, three. That was the thing. Yeah. The, um, uh, the fake people in that, the replicants, um, they had very short lifespans, and they were kind of pissed about it. They only lived to be three years old. Uh, even though they were, they were full grown, you know, sexy adults, but they were, they were only three years old when they died. That's right. Yeah. And if they all wore makeup or was it just Daryl Hannah who? Uh, Daryl Hannah wore makeup. makeup. I think Rudger Howard just went around shirtless and wet. That's right. Yeah. And it was those blazing blue eyes. That's yeah. what I'm thinking about the makeup. Well, I guess that if they were, if replicants were real and, and, and if uh, Blade Runner actually happened and they found out about this guy, this dude, Named Aubrey de Grey. Yeah, this is the guy they would be running down. Because yeah. the, the the whole sci-fi thing of like, oh, I'm not going to live very long. I need to fix it. I mean, that's just an amplification of the very real life scenario that everybody's in. Except, I mean, some people are more denial. They're just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm going to get old and die. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And some would argue, well, that's the healthy approach that you're, you know, that you're. But but not right. Aubrey, Aubrey. But no, not yeah, Aubrey de Grey, right? Like he's he's this biogerontologist, self-taught, by the way. But at the same time, is just uh, has pulled the rug out from under the whole field of gerontology, mm-hmm. and um, he's sitting there saying, "You know what? It's it's not that we can't live much longer. It's just that we are we are sitting there just sort of giving up, when in fact there there are things that we can pursue and do today, mm-hmm. and that it's very possible that the first person to live to one thousand years old." Is, has been born is in, and it could be you or I or both of us or all of us, depending on uh, what sort of research and what sort of um, breakthroughs happen. No, it's not going to be me. I'm going to cut it off around 500 years. 500, that, that's my yeah. Thing. You know, because I, I think 500. That's a good. That's a good cutoff point. After that, it gets kind of tacky. I mean, how bad of a driver am I going to be by 500? You know? Well, I mean, according to him, though, that you there's and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there are uh, all sorts of cellular rejuvenations happening mm-hmm. that are kind of keeping you at this baseline level yeah. of always feeling like you're 30 years old. Well, that's his thing. His his thing is like it's not just a let's cling to life to the very, you know, limits of our right. of our ability because that's that's the really sad and that's one of the things that that I think deters a lot of people from thinking about um, you know, life extending research because we have that picture in our mind of somebody wasting away um often with a, you know, an, an enfeebled mind if not an Sometimes it seems like it's, it's either one or the other half the time. It's like either the, the mind goes or the body goes. Right. And I guess sometimes both go. And in very rare instances, both seem to hang on a little while. But he's saying it doesn't have to be like that. We can, it's not just prolonging life, but, but making the good part last longer. Yeah. It's not just keeping the a clunker car going, you know, and just to, <laughs> to the point where you're just pushing it along the road, but actually maintaining it 
replacing the parts that need replacing, uh, doing you know giving it the service it requires to keep that that car nice and roadworthy um, for you know, for a, you know a long time. That's interesting. And in, uh, one interview he actually uses that same analogy and oh, says, does he? Okay. "Yeah, he says, why do you think we have like these cool antique cars mm-hmm. that are in mint condition? Because we continue to rejuvenate them at every pass." And it's and basically that aging is an engineering problem. Yeah, and he can fix it. And I, I totally buy into this guy. And part of it may be his awesome beard. Will you describe this man's beard? The beard is very, very long. It's pointy. Um, it's kind of got a ginger-colored, brownish hue to it. Um, it speaks to me, literally. <laughs> uh, it says hello, Julie. And it has uh, it has actually caused me to form a crush on this man. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but besides the fact that he's brilliant and he's doing all these incredible things, yes, he looks like a tall, lanky gnome. Yeah. People like uh, Gandalf and uh, Alan Moore look at this guy and they're like, man, that guy's got a cool beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just bears mentioning, that's yeah. all. Yeah, and, and also it's easy to recognize. If you see a YouTube clip with a guy with an epic beard talking about living to be a thousand years old, it's this guy. There's not an, another competitor. It's not a crazy yeah. homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's most likely Aubrey de Grey. So, so yeah, this is, it's, it's a very cool argument. Um, I, I, I think I've spoken before on the podcast about when we think about death, there are sort of like two camps. There's like, in, in one of our, a lot of our problems with death and our uh, belief systems about death, uh, correspond with this idea that death isn't something that our body does, but something that happens to our body. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's just he's basically saying, yeah, this is something our body does, but it happens in seven ways. And, right. And th- these are seven battles that we can win. Right, right. Yeah. This is like the Scott Pilgrim versus the world thing, oh, right? Oh, the seven evil boyfriends. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that he's vanquishing each one. But um, we should probably talk a little bit more about... Um, some of the nuts and bolts, stuff that we know, like the Hayflick limit. Oh, yes. The Hayflick limit is a big one. Um, and this involves, uh, the, this gets a little technical, but bear with me. Uh, this involves something it's called... sexy stuff. Wait for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there'll be more beard jokes later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it involves telomeres in, and telomerase. Okay? Let's hit telomeres first. All right? These were discovered in 1938 by geneticist Herman J. Mueller. Telomeres is Greek for in part. And uh, basically what you need to think about are shoelaces, okay? Because these are, telomeres are essentially protective caps composed of short DNA sequences on the tips of chromosomes, Mm -hmm. all right? The chromosomes they protect in turn contain the DNA that determines our entire biological profile, everything about you. Um, Geneticist Elizabeth Blackburn compared them uh, to the little uh, caps on the ends of our shoelaces. That's where I get this fantastic analogy. I can't take full credit for it. But anyway, without them, the laces begin to unravel. Right. So you see the problem. The unraveling of the laces is aging. Each time a cell divides, the te- the, te- the telomeres become shorter. Okay. Right. So it's kind of like each time you wash your shoes in, in the wash. <laughs> okay. The, it breaks down that little plastic cap a little. Okay. If the telomeres grow too short, they reach the Hayflick limit. All right, this is the point at which they can no longer protect the chromosomes from damage. So in this, uh, you can think of them in, you know, less like shoelaces and more like a lit candle. So even now, your telomeres are burning down, and they're getting shorter with each division and, uh, you know, reaching the point of, of guttering out. And some people ha- are, uh, have longer telomeres than others. The longer you have, the longer... Um, life you have. Yeah, yeah. And when I was reading your article on how uh, telomeres work, I I noted that you had a photo of a woman, I think 
Dita Von Teese. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she's got a, you know, it's a picture of a mole and, and I guess that there's a, a connection between people who have moles and the length of their telomeres, right? Yeah. It took me a long time to find a, a close up of her face, uh, on Getty Images. Uh, <laughs> but, uh. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's interesting, right? So if you have a mole, then you might mm-hmm. say to yourself, Hey, I, I won the, the telomere, the telomere jackpot here. Mine yeah. are pretty long. Yeah. If you have a lot of moles, all the better. That was from a 2009, 2007, I'm sorry, dermatology study conducted by King's College London. And, uh, yeah, said people with more moles often have longer telomeres. Yeah. And then you've got the telomerase, which is the enzyme that helps to, yeah, rebuild. Telomerase. Yeah. Te- telomerase. I only know that because I, I, I had to look at some YouTube videos right before we came in here to get okay. that pronunciation. That's down. good. That's because yeah. I was just going to go off with like telomerase yeah. or something like telomerase. that. Telomerase. Um, but that is something, you know, that enzyme, uh, is very active when we're young, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and helps us, um, rebuild damage to ourselves or rebuild ourselves, so on and so forth. But as we get older, it decreases. And the only time that we see an uptick in its production is when there are cancerous cells, right? Right. Now, telomerase, again, it it basically repairs and lengthens the telomeres. Yes. So that's why it's important. But, But like you're about to say, the problem is it's not just a, hey, let's pump ourselves full of telomerase. And, and reap the benefits because too much telomerase is not a good thing. Right. And we think that it happens in cancer cells because it, it's sort of an ingrained um, algorithm that goes, oh, hey, we're being attacked. We need to repair these cells. But in fact, you probably shouldn't repair these cells because these are the these are the cancerous cells and these are the ones that are mm-hmm. e- eating your body up, essentially. Um, and so that's why that's one of the reasons why cancer cells are so aggressive is yeah. because you've got the telomerase uh, going on there. Uh, but it's it's all sorts of interesting implications um, yeah. with telomerase, this enzyme. Mm-hmm. There's the possibility that we could use them in a way that we wouldn't be destroying ourselves and we might be rejuvenating ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you can get it from stem, stem cells. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. And this is part and parcel of Aubrey de Grey's um, thinking, yeah. which we will talk about more. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And in fact, in Nature Magazine, Harvard Medical School published the results of their study uh, in which they treated mice suffering from age-related de- degeneration and with telomerase. Mm-hmm. And they found that the damage didn't just go away, but the mice actually repaired their cells to an earlier, healthier, and younger state. Hmm. So there's there, there's possibilities here. We shouldn't, you know, wholesale poo-poo it right now. We just don't quite understand how it could work for us. Yeah. But let's talk about the bearded one. Oh, yes, yes. His uh, his seven, uh, the seven battles, the seven, seven fronts in the war to defeat aging. That's right. Um, I guess we can just blow through these. Uh, this guy can talk a lot about them. So it's, uh, you know, each each one is is a very deep issue. And if we really wanted to, we could probably do a podcast on each of these. Oh, yeah. And, and talk about the different examples because yeah. it could go on and on. But just just for uh, brevity's sake, we'll just kind of go through yeah. and talk about them. Let's blow through them. Here we go. All right. So, number one, cells that die off aren't naturally replaced in the heart and brain. Okay? Right. So, you, it, it's, again, kind of wear and tear. Things are, are, are crapping out on you, and uh, they're not getting fixed. <laughs> right. All right. His fix is uh, you have stem cell replacements. Yes. Okay. And again, that's simple. That's the simplification. It's a very in-depth uh, uh, field of study, but that's the the basic idea of the fix. All right. Number two, proliferation of unwanted cells, such as fat cells that replace muscle 
Like, and this kind of thing leads to diabetes. Right. His fix, trick them into destroying themselves through suicide gene therapy, which sounds pretty awesome. Number three. Like another podcast topic. <laughs> yeah. Number three, formation of links between certain proteins and the lack of elas- elasticity in certain tissues, like arter- artery walls that cause high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. The fix, drugs that break these bonds. Right. Okay. Number four, cellular garbage inside the cell, like uh, buildup of anilades between the brain, uh, the, in, in the brain that cause Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. All right. His fix, engineered genes and enzymes to digest the junk. Uh, this would be like, you know, enzyme injections. And he thinks that, interestingly enough, we might find the bacteria in graveyards, which hmm. adds a nice creepy twist on this. Like I say, there's a whole podcast there. Okay. Um, then cellular garbage outside the cell. Um, the fix is the same enzymes, uh, in injection, but, uh, an example of, of how cellular garbage outside the cell leads to, uh, aging and death. This is hardening of arteries and heart disease. Uh, number six, aging damages mitochondria that produce energy for cellular activity. His fix, swap around the mitochondrial DNA through gene therapy to protect it. And then finally, the big one, number seven, cancer, runaway cell divisions. And, um, uh, his fix for this is awesome um, because the, basically the idea came to him while he was in an Italian bar and he was on his second beer. And this why well, this is I really love this is because there's a there's a British sketch comedy show called uh, the, that Mitchell and Webb look. And they have this one sketch about how uh, about this like secret group, kind of an Illuminati group that mm-hmm. control the world and run everything. And they're based along the principle that um you should never finish your second drink. Okay. Uh, like this is an alcoholic drink thing. So, you know, uh, you know, if you're not drinking age, you, you don't know exactly what I'm talking about and nor should you till appropriate drinking rate age if you so choose. Indeed. But, uh, the argument in the sketch was that, um, by the middle of that second drink, yeah. everything is possible. You have this, this <laughs> feeling of optimism that you can conquer anything and you're just, you know, just, you're just jazz, like throw a problem at me. Death, cancer, I got it. I'll figure it out. But if you finish that second drink, yeah. then, any number of catastrophes could happen. So their whole thing is just never finish the second drink. So I love the idea that the bearded one came up with this idea halfway through that second beer. Um, and the idea is something called wilt or whole body interdiction of lengthening telomeres. And he's talking about destroying the replicating abilities of all potentially dangerous cells before they can become cancerous and replace. And basically, and you would also like pump in replacement stem cells every decade. And so it's sort of like heading them off at the past. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. This is, this is so fascinating <laughs> because what's, what is weird about this is that this guy didn't set out to be a biogerontologist, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I believe that he's got a degree in computer sciences and he's quite esteemed. Mm-hmm. Um, although he's a bit of a lightning rod, not just because of his, of his beard, but because of what he's proposing. Um, but he's done so much research and he has published so much on this that he really is making inroads in terms of logistics. And he's basically saying, I can't do this tomorrow, but I think within 10 years, we're within reach of of extending life by like 30% mm-hmm. if we can really sink some money into looking at the best ways to apply this to humans. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, he's done a ton of work with rats and so on and so forth. If only there were some old people with a lot of money concerned about dying. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure if the research is going to come together on this one, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. Where could he find those people? Yeah. And how could he transmit his message? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> to those people. Uh, 
But I mean, people really are interested in it, though, but in his, uh, TED.com bio, cause he, he does this great TED talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say, uh, in July 2005, the MIT Technology Review challenged scientists to disprove DeGray's claims offering a $20,000 prize, half of which, uh, was money put up by DeGray's foundation, which is called, appropriately enough, Methuselah Foundation. <laughs> uh, Methuselah, of course, is one of the biblical characters that lived to, uh, an advanced age. I think he, along with, uh, Noah and Adam, uh, supposedly lived to be 900 years yep, old. Yep. Yeah. 900 there going. Um, but anyway, they, they put up this, uh, challenge and it's basically any molecular biologist who could demonstrate that, uh, his sense, which is the, the abbreviation for what he's doing is so wrong that it is unworthy of learned debate and the challenge remains open. So, and there are a lot of people who are looking at this and it's, you know, it's, within his field and outside of his field. And what I think is interesting is that Raymond Kurtzwheel, who I, I don't know if we could call him the father of the singularity, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. appropriate, but certainly someone who has been talking about the singularity. Um, and this is, again, for anybody just joining this, uh, and not for those of you who are sick of hearing about singularity, yeah. <laughs> uh, is the, the idea that computers continue to advance and advance, and they're advancing at such a rate that they'll eventually surpass humans. And then the singularity will occur where they, they, you know, they, they nose ahead in the race. Yeah. And he says, uh, this is in a interview with Raymond Kurtzwell. He says, we'll get to a point in my view, it's only about 15 years away where every year that goes by, we're adding more than a year to your remaining life expectancy. So that's a tipping point. And he points directly to DeGray. Um, and then to kind of back that up, he, he likes to point out that, uh, you know, look, look at technology. We've talked about Moore's law before and so on and so forth. And he's sort of a- applying this analogy to, um, the, the medical field. But he's saying like, you know, look at your average cell phone. It's about a millionth the size of the millionth of the price of an, uh, of a thousand times more powerful than the computer he had at MIT 40 years ago. Yeah. So his point is that technology is speeding up. These things are happening. Um, the human genome, you know, nobody thought that that would ever get mapped. It got mapped two years earlier than it was supposed to. Uh, we're, we're moving toward this, you know, especially in Kurt Will's opinion, this point where technology and science and medicine are converging to create this this circumstance where we possibly could extend our life in a meaningful way. Yeah. Uh, not as you had pointed out, just sort of crawling toward death at, you know age 999, but feeling actually robust. Yeah. Or, you know, or also these sort of sci-fi visions too, of like just being a feeble old thing locked away in a pod somewhere on life support, you know, (laughs) like like nobody wants that. I mean, you want the state, you want to, you don't want some weird sci-fi state of living death. And, and certainly that's, that's the, the dystopian vision of what uh, prolonged life might be like. But the other side is, yeah, being, uh, you know, being in your sixties, being in your seventies and still being able body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, there's some interesting information about that. Um, and he even feels like he can bear this out again, uh, within 10 years, particularly through his, his mouse rejuvenation is what he, mm-hmm. what he calls it. Um, and I think this is interesting too. He has in his Ted talk, this graph of how all of these different aspects work together to create what he calls longevity escape velocity. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, it's, yeah, because it's, it's, it's kind of like these seven factors are like different, like seven different gravities holding us to the, uh, yeah. to the, 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 the sphere of mortality. And yeah. If we can free ourselves of those uh, bonds, then, you know, the sky's the limit, right? 
Yeah. And uh, another interview, this I believe it was with The Guardian, uh, DeGray said there was a question to him that says, you've talked about enriching people's lives, but isn't it the very fact of death that gives our lives meaning? And he says, that's nonsense. The fact is, people don't want to get sick. I'm just a practical guy. I don't want to get sick, and I don't want you to get sick, and that's what this is all about. I don't work on longevity. I work on keeping people healthy. The only difference between my work and the work of the whole medical profession is that I think we're in striking distance of keeping people so healthy that it at age 90, they'll carry on waking up in the same physical state as they were at the age of 30, and the probability of not waking up one morning will be no higher than it was at the age of 30. So this is where we kind of begin to float off into the, the phys- philosophical deep end of the pool, right? The implications. Where, yeah. If we, because death is, is an essential, essential aspect of human life. It's, it's the big reality that everybody faces. No matter what you do in your life, this is one of the things you're definitely going to get around to doing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, it defines so much of who we are. But right. then, but then, how much of it does it really define? Now you get into to questions of uh, again: is it does death inspire us? Is, does the does it motivate us? The idea that we're not going to be here forever and we only have uh, you know a finite amount of time to do these things on the on this planet, or uh, you know, is is it kind of a false view? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. And there was a a, a question from an audience member in uh, DeGray's TED Talk, and the guy was basically saying, "Well, aren't we sort of evolved to die?" Mm-hmm. And his comment was, no, not really. I mean, like we, that we just, as a function, we die. And the moderator kind of chimed in and, and, um, and said, oh, well, so DeGray, are you saying that the genes don't care and that it's us that care? And he's like, exactly. That's it. You know, so basically there's, yeah, you could die at year 1000 or 100 or 50. It doesn't really matter to your genes. They just want to be expressed. Mm-hmm. And I was actually thinking that if if the whole point is that, you know, like Richard Dawkins, that we we're just here to spread our genes, it actually would make sense that we'd have a longer lifespan. So we'd have the ability to spread more of our genes. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a wacky argument. But, yeah, so I don't think that we're actually we've evolved to die, so to speak. Yeah, there. I mean, on one hand, there's. You know, to take it into extremes of, uh, of dystopian and utopian, um, on the utopian end of things, you know, there are ideas of like, hey, you have an Einstein or a Hawking, they, let's just have them live forever, or, you know, or, or let's have them live twice as long, three yeah. times as long, and, uh, and get more out of them. You have somebody like a Gandhi, you know, you have all these, these great, great people, yeah. imagine them living, uh, you know, for several hundred years and being able to contribute more to our civilization and culture. On the other, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> five hundred years of Charlie Sheen. Five hundred years of winning. Yeah, um, it, that's the other end of it, you know. Uh, annoying or pointless people. <laughs> um, I mean, no, celebrity plays an important role, and it seems like there was there there have probably been good Charlie Sheen movies. I, I don't have his filmography at hand. Yeah, but um, but but no, um, you know, the idea that that still you can't. It's hard to argue that five hundred years of of Charlie Sheen would significantly enrich um, our culture or civilization. No, but I like to think that if you're going to live that long, mm-hmm. and and especially if you've got your you know physical prowess and your wits about you, then perhaps after 100 years, 200 years, maybe you become a sage person. Or do we all become Charlie Sheen after, after 300 years of life? We reach that point where it's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to have a good time, you know? 
Yeah, I, well, I mean, you, you, you do have to revisit what middle age is, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe age 500, we're all like cruising around in Ferraris. We quit working. Yeah. Uh, we're just hanging out at the Trevi Fountain, <laughs> you know, uh, causing trouble. It's, it is, it's an interesting question. Like, what do you do with all of those years? And, and it, it's so, it's a seductive idea because none of us want to die, right? I mean, we, that, that's one of the, the bittersweet things about mm-hmm. living is that it's, it is precious. And you know that, um, if, if we could, we could extend it as long as possible. Yeah. And the, and especially if we felt good, you yeah, know, but also the fear of death, you know, it prevents us from doing certain things. It gives us, uh, you know, there are ramifications. Like, it's like, you know, if, if there was no death, more people, more of us would have jet skis, right? Um, <laughs> Because they they look like a lot of fun. They do. But um, but yeah, what does it keep us from doing? What does it enable us to do? I mean, if if we knew we had three hundred years, would some of us wait two hundred and ninety years before we started writing that book we've been dreaming about writing? I mean, uh, I say no. Yeah, I say if you if you're not going to write that book, you're just not going to. That's true. I, I, I com- do agree with that. Continue to put that off. Yeah, from a procrastinator. Uh, speaking right now. Okay, well, how about this? Uh, look at authors who, you know, they write that, those, you know, those like three or two, one, two, three really good books, and then they just write a lot of less interesting stuff. Or musicians, you know, artists, where they, they have that one burst of creativity, and then it kind of dwindles out throughout the rest of their career. You, you have exceptions to this rule, but you see it a lot. Yeah, but don't you want to see st- what Stephen King is doing in 500 years? I don't know, because that's a good example. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've really loved Stephen King in the past, uh, but I... I'm not necessarily as into his recent uh, works, so uh, you know I I, I I don't know. Like, the, would one's work get better? Would it? Would it? Would living 300 years? Would that mean that you'd be at your best for 300? Create well, your best for that, 300 years. Would that know. give you a completely different understanding about living and a whole new new tool set to express yourself? That's yeah. that's one of the questions. Um, and then another, just on a you know very like nuts and bolts level, what about social security? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> How do we pay for all this? Right. And I mean, there are people right now who are saying we have to revisit the, you know, 65 cutoff, I think, in the States, right? And Social Security, you know, starting those benefits then because the life expectancy has already um, become much greater than mm-hmm. what we had before. And just think about this, too, that before the 15th century, I mean, most people did not live to like age 30. Yeah. So we really have made a lot of gains. We just don't think about it right now. Um, and so, you know, even if DeGray is like completely off his rocker, there's a really good chance that we're still going to start, you know, reaching ages of 120, 150 mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So social security, what do you do about that? You know, what do you do about overpopulation? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real concern. Also, uh, look at your health benefits. Do, do does health insurance then pay for your longevity treatments? Yeah. Who gets who gets to live this long? And then does it become a, a basic human right to get? I mean, would you one day instead of it being a uh, you know someone making the argument, hey, you know this is irresponsible behavior because they're starving people in sub-Saharan Africa or there's rampant disease in sub-Saharan Africa? What if people were saying, you know, this is irresponsible because there are people dying of old age at eighty? Right. <laughs> in, in sub-Saharan Africa, which granted, uh, on, by contemporary standards, that would be great. That right. Would be, that would be that a wonderful, would be a wonderful problem. situation. Yeah. But 
But yeah, imagine a time where that's the argument. It's you know, or you know, you end up having you know an elite class that gets to live as long as they pretty much want to live, and then everybody else can't afford it. Uh, you, I mean, you see this type of idea popping up in in science fiction for a reason because some of these you know, this is something we're thinking about. Well, and if it were then available to everyone, mm-hmm. uh, again, overpopulation. So you have to make a choice at some point as as a society. Do you have a low death rate, mm-hmm. um, or do you have a, a low or a high birth rate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They mean, or you just have like a mandatory death at a certain time. Or what was it? Was it not Calliope? What was the thing in Logan's Run? Mm, I don't know. It's like not Calliope. What's the thing with the horses? C-A-L-I-O-P-E? Yeah. What's the thing with the horses that goes around? I don't know. I'm, you know, where you ride the horse and, you know, it's like at the circus. Circus, riding horse. I haven't seen the movie recently enough. Happy. At any rate, that thing that they had that ensured <laughs> that everybody died at 30. In Logan's Run. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, carousel. I think it was Carousel. Okay. We would never <laughs> do well on $65,000 pyramid. We, we would. Just then select yeah, things. Okay, um, right. so, so anyway, maybe you'd have to have something like that where everyone's like, all right, you can live to be 500, but then you got to call it quits. Or yeah. if, you know, or maybe there's special exceptions if you're going, and it just gets really complicated and, and mucky. It does. And there's just so many different problems with this. And of course, um, you know, I, I even just look at our skin and say, I'm pretty sure that this skin is not going to make it to 1000 years. And yes, I know that there are in vitro meat, uh, you know, method that we could probably apply to, you know, where you take the, that's the, the skin yeah. cells from a cow and, and grow meat out of that. Yeah. And every, I'm sure uh, we could grow our own skin. Every 20 years, you go down to the, um, to the cloning vats. Uh, they give you a good flaying, and then uh, you get a new skin out of the vats. So you get eviscerated, and then well, not eviscerated. You get to keep your gut, your guts, you know. Ah, uh, okay. But, uh, that's good. But you lose the skin, get a new skin. The evisceration—that's a separate treatment where you get all new guts. All right, so. all right. I mean, there you go. That's there's just a there are myriad of different challenges. I'll say. Oh wait, there's one more I have to have to bring up too. Is the what? idea like just psychologically and emotionally what happens to us over the course? Um, because there's a whole memory, memory. Um, there's a great, like one of the m- more dystopian uh, uh, concepts of immortality out there it comes from uh, one of my favorite authors that I've mentioned before, uh, R. Scott Baker. He has this, uh, he has this fa- epic fantasy series that is just really chalked with a lot of philosophical mm-hmm. stuff because he was a ph- philosophy PhD uh, guy, and uh, and he has this idea of this immortal race that he calls the the non men, and. Uh, they all basically, they've basically forgotten everything about their, their history except for the traumas. Like after a while, after, you know, a long life of just accumulating trauma after trauma mm-hmm. and misery after misery, it just compiles. It's like, kind of like your skin analogy, you know? What's yeah. our skin like if, uh, you know, we get a scar here, a scar here? Do we eventually just become all scar tissue? And these guys are like all emotional scar tissue after, uh, centuries of life. And they're just, they, they don't remember the people they loved. They only have vague memories of the horrors they've suffered. Okay. So how do we avoid that? All right. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, right? Okay. Okay. So you basically can erase the memories. And think about the Blue Brain Project that we talked about in Cyber Immortality, which, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there, there's, a, I believe it's in Germany, there's a team um, that are working on this to try to re- to map the human brain. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, in this mathematical model, and so the idea is that one day, not only can we see how our brains are working, but it's very possible that you could like download a copy of your own brain. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you be able to to erase those memories and just re-upload? Okay. Or 
but in a sense, you kind of, it's kind of like playing poker. It's like you, um, or is it blackjack? Oh, at any rate, you keep getting cards <laughs> in your hand until you're like, all right, hold, that's good. Yeah. So it's like you, you, you let your mind develop to a certain point and then you're like, all right, that's good. We're not going to add any more, uh, experiences to this. We're just going to sort of hold and erase things as they occur. Yeah. And, and, and just in a, as a practical matter too, by the time that you reach 100, you're probably going to want a copy of your brain, right? So you can start to index your memories. And, um, I mean, because that's just, that's enormous. That's, that's one of the things that I think, well, is, is the human, brain actually equipped to hold on to a thousand years worth of memories yeah um emotions that are attached to them so on and so forth so okay, now i'm liking this idea maybe the way living well it could to pull us too but maybe the way living for 600 years is that every 200 years you kind of push the reset button and you sort of clean out everything that's not completely relevant and start new because you know new friends new family new uh new you know purpose in life i see lawsuits happening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking of like lasik surgery you know yeah. like when when that was uh that first came out and i'm thinking about like someone resets your brain on accident to like some sort of you know, you know toddler infancy mm-hmm. memory bank and and all of a sudden like you have to relearn the entire world as an yeah. adult i don't know okay. these are things to think about we could keep going on about this for sure yeah <laughs> i uh, know we could but uh but yeah, 999 birthday candles. It, it, it's possible. Get your fire extinguishers ready. Yeah. So, hey, I have a couple of uh, listener mails here. Uh, this is just a quick one. Um, our listener by the name of Eric writes in and says, In this episode, uh, he's referring to the Tyrannosaurus Sex podcast. He says, In this episode, Julie said hard to imagine dinosaurs, quote, kicking boots. Mm. I'm almost sure she meant to say knocking boots. Had me laughing all day. Love the podcast. I didn't notice, but um, kicking is, is boots, it kicking or knocking? Um, no, feel, it is knocking boots. I feel like it could be kicking boots somewhere. I was gonna make a joke that, like, in my my um, you know Michigan Dutch upbringing, that it was we called it kicking boots, uh-huh. but no, I know better. It's it's knocking boots. You could get away with it. Just saying, it was a regional thing. Yeah, it's yeah. kicking boots in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> um. And anyway, I just, uh, that's just a, another opportunity to promote the, uh, dinosaurs knocking boots episode. That's right. Uh, Tyrannosaurus sex. Yeah. And then here's another one, uh, referring to that particular episode. Uh, Jordan writes in, hi, Robert and Julie. Yesterday I was listening to your ep- episode on dino sex, one word, and I couldn't help but think cloacal kiss sounded like a good name for a metal band. I like the phrase so much. I even used it on my Facebook status score. <laughs> A friend later informed me that there is, in fact, a decent metal band called Cloacal Kiss. I've tried to give them a listen, but every time I do, I get a vision of, uh, uh, well, shall we say, Velociraptor indecency with the grinding and screeching of the music as the soundtrack. Anyway, despite my unfortunate, unfortunate mental pictures, I wanted to thank you for bringing my love of music and science together. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I'm pretty sure you're sure you guys play a big part in keeping me sane while I'm at work. All right. Yeah. Some might argue that uh, prolonged uh, descriptions of dinosaurs doing it would would have the opposite effect on right. insanity. But uh, but you know I feel like our listeners are the ones that are enriched by such things. <laughs> Not tipping you over the edge. Yeah, yeah. 
So if you have anything you would like to share, uh, you can check out our own Facebook status updates on Blow the Mind on Facebook. And we're also on Twitter as Blow the Mind. And uh, we update that those uh, feeds pretty regularly. Different stuff on each. We kind of try to diversify. But, you know, cool links to stuff that we're finding, cool stuff, links to stuff we're writing, and uh, updates on what the latest episodes are about. And as always, you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.